With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
Today's broadcast of the Seventh Day Services of I Saw the Light Ministries. This is Pastor Tim. Uh, for this next song, I'm going to play a song on YouTube. Uh, and uh, so I hope that you'll be able to listen, uh, be able to hear it, because I think, I think that. <laughs> or believe that uh, when I play the YouTube videos that they don't come across real clear, but we'll try it. I know that God has brought this particular song to my attention and Brittany's attention today uh, because it just so happens, which there's no such thing as it just so happens, but it just so happens that uh, without... 
looking this song up, this song has played three times today alone when me and Brittany was listening to gospel music. It, uh, Brittany had heard it two times today, and then I heard it separately without even knowing that she had heard this song, and uh, and I and she heard me playing this song and said, I've already heard that two times today. So three times in just a few hours that we've been awake today. And so that has got to be God. And this is a song by Chris Rice. Uh, and the name of the song is It Is Well With My Soul. It Is Well With My Soul. I think that's probably an older song that he didn't even write. I'm not for sure. Yeah, as well, that's what I thought. It's a well-known hymn. So, I mean, it is older than Chris Rice. Uh, but it is Chris Rice singing it when I heard it, and I think when she heard it, no, she she heard it from a different artist. But the same song through different artists today. I'm going to play Chris Rice because that's what I heard and was the easiest for me to look up since that's the one I heard. But it is an old traditional hymn. Uh, it is well with my soul. This is a very good song for when you need peace and comfort from God. Uh, warning is good. Repentance is good, but we also need comfort and encouragement. And this song has really helped me many times over the years whenever this song was sung in the churches and whenever I heard it on the radio, it has always been a great comfort to me. Now, this is not a song that just anybody can sing. Lost people cannot sing this. And a lot of fake Christians in all these Babylonian churches, they sing it, but it's not true. It's a lie that's coming out of their tongue. But hopefully it's not a lie when we sing it. And because God has given this song to us today, I don't believe that it's a lie when Kiki sings this song. I do not believe it is a lie when Jennifer sings this song. I do not believe it is a lie when Lisa sings this song and others as well. But we do need to examine ourselves. Can I truly sing this song and it be true? I believe it's true for a lot of people that's listening today. So let's play the song. I hope that you can hear it clearly. And you can always look it up on YouTube and look it up online. Thank you. 
Praise Jesus. Now this next song is part of the reason why it is well with our soul. And that is because we choose the fear of the Lord. We do not choose to just live any old way, any way of our choosing, but rather by the fear of the Lord.
Okay, let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you very much, Father, for this day, for everything that you've been showing your people in the recent days, recent weeks, and everything that you have ever revealed and shown your people. Thank you, Father, for every time that you have sent warning and messages messages of repentance, messages of love, messages of comfort, messages of encouragement, and of correction. Thank you, Father, for your word all the time. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking to your people. Thank you, Father, for calling us as your people and your family. Thank you for claiming us and creating us. Thank you, Father, for this word that you've given us today, that we may uh, receive your word today with gladness and with joy, even in the good times and the bad times, even when it's correction, and even when it's realignment of our prayers. We ask you, Father, to help us to understand how to pray according to your will and not our will. We ask you, Father, to lead us this day in your will in this service, and in this sermon. In Jesus' holy name, may your will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, today we're going to start in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 1. That's very close to the end of the Old Testament. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And for the record, today's date in the Roman Catholic calendar is December the 3rd, 2016 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, December 3rd. And in God's created calendar, it is the fourth day of the ninth month. Fourth day of the ninth month. Before we get into the main topic today in the book of Joel, uh, I would like to share with you something about Hanukkah. As you know, I've been writing about Hanukkah, talking about Hanukkah, and that was the message last week was about the fiesta of dedication, which is also called Hanukkah. And I've also shared in the newsletter, as well as during the broadcast last week, that, and on the article as well, that we moved into this ministry building a year ago, one year ago. And, in fact, tomorrow will be one year exactly. Tomorrow will be our one-year anniversary that we moved into this ministry building. And, but, because the Roman calendar does not go 100% in agreement with God's calendar, even though it was a year ago, tomorrow, that we moved in the building, and today is the fourth day of the ninth month, but last year, this was like the 24th day. So the, the calendar does not match. It's because where God's calendar always has uh, 29 or 30 days of the month, the Roman calendar has 30 or 31 days, plus February only has 28 or 29 days. So they don't match. But anyway, as I've said, 
we moved in here just a couple of days before Hanukkah and then had our services, our very first services in the building the very next day after moving. And that was the 24th day of the ninth month that we had our services, 24th day of the ninth month. And Hanukkah was the next day after having services. So I thought, I wonder if I might be off a day in that calendar. Did we really have services on the first day of Hanukkah? Did we really dedicate the temple on the day of the dedication of the temple? Was it off one day? I wasn't trying to move in here on that date. I wasn't trying to be moved in by Hanukkah. That was just the way the money worked, just the way that we receive our money on a certain day and and moved in on a certain day. That's just the way it worked out by God's design. So I went back to re-examine what was the date in God's calendar. And I determined that, no, I was not off. I was not off by a day or two. But we must also consider there are multiple time zones across the world. So I looked up the time zones to see what the date would be and the time would be when we had our first services. And guess what? If you go by the very first time zone on land of when, the, uh, for example, when, where is the first place in the world that celebrates New Year's, as the people around the world celebrate New Year's, one hour different from the next time zone, and then another hour different from the next time zone, another hour different from the next time zone, all across the world. And so I looked at what is the first place that welcomes in the New Year, and it's some islands in the Pacific Ocean to the east of uh, Australia and New Zealand, and Japan, and if we go by the first time zone on land, on the earth, we had our first services, began our first services, started our services in this building, the very first services in this building, just a few minutes, minutes before the first Hanukkah of that year. Well, I mean, not before, but during. So, in other words, like 15 or 30 minutes after Hanukkah began in the first time zone. So even though it was not Hanukkah here in Tennessee and not the 25th of the month here in Tennessee, it was Hanukkah and the 25th of the month in the first time zone on earth. And it had Hanukkah had just began just a few minutes before we began our services, like 30 minutes or so. That is mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. We know that God does not tell time by Eastern time zone. Amen. But heaven does not run on the Eastern time zone or in the central or Pacific time zone, that God sees the entire earth, all the earth, 
God, his presence fills the entire universe. And he sees every time zone on this planet all at one time. He sees every time zone on this planet. And in God's eyes, it was Hanukkah. And we started services only around 30 minutes after Hanukkah began on the earth of that date of that year of 2015. That is mind-blowing. And it is powerful, powerful divine proof that we are to keep Hanukkah and that God is in this ministry and in this ministry building. We was dedicating this house of the Lord. In God's eyes, in the same very hour, the Hanukkah began. Praise God. Praise God. God is great. And this also proves that he is real and that he sees us and is actively involved in our movements. The Bible says that he determines the bounds of our habitation. In other words, where we live, where we are born, and so forth. He determines the bounds of our habitation. He moves men and directs men's paths. Amen. Praise God. And then the next thing that I need to talk about is the fires in Gatlinburg. And that is another powerful, divine confirmation of the truth. We know that if you go back on the newsletter and look at what I had written, how what God Jesus had led me to write that he is going to bring judgment by fire upon the cities of East Tennessee, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Greenville, Asheville, North Carolina, these mountains of East Tennessee. And even though I did not mention Gatlinburg specifically by name, I listed the cities all around it on every side of it, to the north, to the south, to the west, and to the east of Gatlinburg. I named those cities. Just like I said, I believe, last week, or in the last couple of weeks, you don't always have to say it exactly A, B, C. Amen. The Bible doesn't always say it A, B, C. Because God is not just written in these scriptures. He's still speaking through the Spirit. And he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen. So we don't have to actually write out, it will be Gatlinburg. When you list all the cities around the north and south and west and east of it. I mean, not all the cities, but to every direction. 
days before the fire devoured many, many, many structures in Gatlinburg. In fact, I think yesterday on the radio, if I if I heard it right, I'm not sure if I did, but if I heard it right, over a thousand structures, over one thousand structures that caught fire in the Gatlinburg area. And the last I know of, 13 dead. That's horrible. Horrible. It's sad that 13 people had to be killed by God. Amen. That 13 people did die in the judgment hand of God. And on November the 30th, I posted on the newsletter that Jesus will burn every copy of the King James Version Bible. Every copy when he returns. Why did I say that? I said it before. It wasn't the first time I said it. But I said it because the King James Version has the name Jehovah written in it, which is a witchcraft satanic name. The name Jehovah had never been written in any Bible, in any of the original manuscripts, in any of the Hebrew and Greek scrolls and codexes of the Bible, had never been written in any book or pronounced by any human on this earth of any religion, of any church, ever. In all of human history, the name Jehovah had never, ever been spoken or written by anybody until the 1200s, over 1,200 years after Jesus went back to heaven. So that name was invented, made up by the Catholics. They were the very first ones to use it. The Catholic Church was the very first people to invent the name of Jehovah. And they invented it, invented that name through the power of Satan. It is Satan that gave that name to the Catholic Church, put it in their hearts, put it in their minds. And it comes directly from YHWH, which is Assyrian. And it is the name of Allah. Jehovah is Allah. Jehovah is Allah. Jehovah is the Islamic moon god. And so the King James Version has that wicked, evil name in it. The King James Version that people have today, most people, most Americans, have a King James Version that is missing several books of the Bible that was taken out of the Bible by the Catholic Church. And not only were those books removed that we call the Apocrypha, but even in the books that still remains in the Bible, there are many, many, many verses that have been removed. Many verses that have been removed that do not appear in the King James today, nor even in the New American Standard Bible, or any other, hardly any other Bible on earth. 
those verses have been almost wiped out. But we do still know those verses, and they are in some Bibles, few Bibles, only a few Bibles, have those verses and those books as well. The Alpha and Omega Bible does include those books and those verses. So when you get the Alpha and Omega Bible, you're going to get all of the Bible, all the Bible that we know of, And so, yes, Jesus will burn every copy of the King James Version because the King James Version is very, very corrupted translation with many books of the Bible and verses of the Bible taken out and verses added to it as well. There are verses added to King James that should not be there. New American Standard is real good in that aspect, that New American Standard does leave out the verses that King James added on. So New American Standard might not include all the original verses, but at least New American Standard leaves out the verses that King James added, which is also important. Amen. But but the Alpha and Omega Bible also leaves out those verses that were added, as well as includes the verses that had been taken out. So with the Alpha and Omega Bible, you're going to get the real Word of God, the real Scriptures, what was truly written. But it's not 100% accurate. I do not claim, never have claimed, that the Alpha and Omega Bible will be 100% accurate. It can't be. Because I don't know what other books or verses that may have been taken out or added in, but to the best of my knowledge, this is the verses and the books that were in the original Bibles. But it would take me years, years, to translate every word of the Bible correctly, 100% correct. Years to do that. I don't have that much time. But I did correct and translate many verses throughout the Bible in this translation. So it may not be 100% correct, but I am very confident that it is the most correct and the most accurate Bible that we have in the English language today. Now, I wrote on November 30th in the newsletter, that Jesus will burn all King James versions when he comes back. Later that same day, later, after I had already written that, had already published it, had already gone across the Internet, Sister Jennifer sent me an email, said, have you seen this article in the news where this man in Gatlinburg working at Dollywood has found a page, one page, of a King James Version Bible that had been burnt. King James Version. That particular version. Now, many times in my life I've heard that a Bible will not burn. It will not burn. I've heard that many times in my life. But this one did. Amen. This one did. And for it to be that particular translation of King James Version, 
one page the man found, God sent it directly to him. And for it to happen in Gatlinburg, not some other nation, but in Gatlinburg. And for that article to come to me after I had already written about this. So let's go to Joel chapter 1, because these are the verses that was readable on that burnt page. These are the verses that was readable. Joel 1, verses 13, all the, way, all the way up to chapter 2, verse 1. These are the only verses that you can read. You can't read every letter of it, but you can read it. I'm going to read it from New American Standard because that is what we teach from uh, during services and because that's the Bible I got opened up in front of me. But just imagine it in the King James Version. There's not really that much difference in these particular verses. So Joel 1, verse 13, Grid yourselves with sackcloth and lamnet, lamate or cry or grieve, O priests, and wail, O ministers of the altar, and come and spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of G, your Theos. In other words, have a church service in the house of God and cry out to G. Alas, for the day, for the day, of G, of the Lord, is near. And it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Destruction. The coming of Jesus Christ. Not just to bring peace to the earth, even though he will bring a great measure of peace, but he will also bring a great measure of destruction when he comes. Verse 16, has not food been cut off before your eyes? Gladness and joy also been cut off from the house of our God. The seeds shiver, shrivel under their clots, meaning the seeds do not grow up from the ground. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down. For the grain is dried up, dried up. We're in a major drought here in East Tennessee, extreme drought. The grain is dried up, literally. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. In other words, there is no True pastors leading the churches for the most part. Verse 19, to you, O G, I cry, for fire, fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. The great smoking mountains 
National Park is on fire. It's still on fire. Most of the fire in Gatlinburg is put out, but in the surrounding trees that surround that city, it is still burning to this day. The wilderness is on fire. For these particular verses to be the only readable verses in this burnt Bible is significant, extremely significant. It could have been a a page from Matthew or Acts or Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians, but no, it wasn't. It was this page. This was the page, the page talking about fire and the coming of the Lord and judgment, that the day of the Lord is at hand, which means the great tribulation. This ain't coincidence. Anybody who thinks that this man found this page of King James Version burnt with these particular verses on it, all by just coincidence that that particular time in that particular version and that particular verse in the Bible in that town at that time, all of that just coincidence, they need to be locked up in a mental hospital because they ain't got no sense. Amen? Anybody that ignorant needs to be locked up in a mental hospital because they have no sense. But if we have any common sense at all, we know this is not coincidence. There is a drought. There is fire in the wilderness. And the day of the Lord is at hand. And yes, he will burn the King James Version Bibles. And in fact, many times over the years, I've also said, because this is the truth, that God will also burn these churches, the Baptist churches, the Pentecostal churches, the Catholic churches, other churches. God is going to burn these church buildings. I've said that. I've written that multiple times over the years. And in fact, on the very day that I wrote that Jesus will destroy every copy of the King James Version, I also quoted in the newsletter some scriptures from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 1 and chapter 2. And even though I didn't quote Joel, I did quote Micah, which is only a few pages over, and is talking about the same thing, the same thing it's talking about. And Micah does talk about fire and judgment. And in those notes about that, I'm going to try to turn to Micah right now. But keep your fingers there in Joel, because we'll come right back and finish reading that. But if you go just a few pages to the right, after Joel, you have Amos and then Obiah uh, or or, uh, Obadiah, and then Jonah, and then Micah. And all these were just very small books. But Micah, and um, I I forget the exact verses I shared, but if you look at Micah chapter 1, verse 3, I'm pretty sure that I did share this verse. 
it says, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place and will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. And in, then I wrote in uh, parentheses, I wrote upon the churches and the mountains that Jesus is coming with judgment upon the mountains and the churches. I wrote mountains and I wrote Gatlinburg and I wrote churches. And it says here in verse 4, the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire. So I did talk about the context of the Gatlinburg Mountains and the churches. And I didn't know it at the time, going back to Joel chapter 1 now. I did not know it at the time. But at least three churches or more also burnt down in Gatlinburg area. At least three different churches burnt down to the ground, to the foundation. And also how these Bible, I mean, how these news articles, newspapers and everything, and websites were saying that these places had burnt down to the foundation. Actually, they used the word foundation. Whereas there is a, also a verse there in Micah that said that I will expose their foundations in Micah 1 or Micah 2 that I had written. And also in the Greenville newspaper, how it said that the foundation of the steps to the county courthouse had failed and the steps had fallen down in the ground. And they had showed a picture on the front page of the newspaper where they had tore the sidewalk and the steps completely apart, completely tore it apart, down to the foundation. Repairing the foundation of the steps to the county courthouse. It's not the same county, but it's like the next county or two counties over from the fires. Well, from those Gatlinburg fires. So there's fires even burning even in this county. And so, or was, I don't know if those are still burning or not. But it's a regional. It's not judgment on one city alone but regional. Now, of course, there's going to be judgment all across the United States and the world. This ain't the only place burning. In fact, I had written about fire on the newsletter the day before I found out about the fires in Israel. And the fires in Israel also is burning many buildings in downtown of the third largest town in all of Israel in a metropolitan area just like Gatlinburg. Same thing is happening. Huge fire in a city. Huge. I didn't know that was going on when I wrote it or that it would happen overnight or the next day or anything. I didn't know. I don't live in Israel. God is real, and God is confirming his presence, his blessing, his anointing, and his power upon the truth. Amen. God is great. 
Now, a lot of people would be like, uh, well, you knew about this, you knew about that, and you just said it after the fact or whatever, because the people don't want to believe in God. They don't want to believe that God is capable of doing such things or that God would judge or that God would destroy or bring chastisement or correction. They only want a God of love and peace. That's all they want. They don't want correction because they want to live in their wickedness. The Bible says that they love their wickedness and they love their sins. And they do. The Bible is so true. And I was just telling Brittany yesterday, I think it was, that the people that are so upset about Trump, about the possibility that he may become president. He's not president yet. He may become president eventually. I don't know. But the people that are so upset about the possibility that he might be sworn in president. I told Brittany that these people are so upset because they don't want anybody who speaks the truth or anybody who would uh, hinder their sinful life. They don't want any president or minister or pastor or church or religion or Bible that proclaims the truth against homosexuality and Islam and abortion and gay marriage and all the other sins that they so much love and embrace and promote. They're proud of their sins. They love their sins. And they don't want a president that would hinder them in any way of doing what they want to do. And so a vote for Hillary Clinton, a vote for Hillary Clinton is a vote against God. That's exactly what it is. The bottom line, can't ever vote for any Democrat president, for Obama, or any Democrat president is a vote against God. When they cast that vote for a Democrat governor or president or mayor or anything who's a Democrat, it is a vote that says, I don't like God, I hate God, and I don't want God telling me what to do, and I don't want any minister, pastor, governor, prince, or king on this earth telling me that I have to obey God. That's exactly what they're doing in their voting for a Democrat. I don't want to obey God. And how dare anybody tell me that I have to obey God? That's the satanic motto, do as you want to do. That is the satanic motto, do as you want to do. And it is the motto of liberal so-called Christians who say they are Jews but are not, Say they are Christian or not, but not. Say they are saved. They say it's well with my soul, and it's not well with their soul. Amen. This is the Baptist church I'm talking about, whose buildings, churches, burned. And other churches. The day of the Lord is at hand. Amen. And many people... Love and worship the King James Version as if the King James Version is the only good and acceptable Bible and as if it is a perfect 
100% perfect translation. They need to be locked up in a mental hospital because if you do just a simple study of the King James Version, you can find out in 30 minutes' time a simple search of King James Version Bible compared to the oldest scriptures we have on this planet and figure out a five-year-old kid could figure it out that the King James Version is not matching the oldest scriptures that we have on this planet. And why wouldn't you want it? Why would you not want it to match? But there's people out there who are King James-only people that saying that they don't want it to match. They actually say this, that we do not want the Bible to match the oldest scriptures we have. That's exactly what they say. You can read it on their King James-only websites. They hate for it. They don't want it to match. They, they, that's why they're against the New American Standard. They are against the New American Standard because it is from the oldest scriptures on earth. Ain't that ridiculous? They prefer the scriptures from after 350 A.D. when the Catholic Church took books and verses out of the Bible and added verses. And it's called the Received Text, also called the Masoretic Text. Mas, M-A-S-O-R-E-T-I-C, something like that. M-A-S-O-R-E-T-I-C, something like that, also called the Received Text. And that refers to the scriptures of the Catholic Church after they had already added and removed Bibles and, I mean, books and verses of the Bible. And that is the Bible that the King James Version came from, and that is what they want you to go by, by their own mouth and their own profession. They prefer and believe that is the only Bible we should go by. The Catholic Bible, after they had already added to and taken away from it. But no, don't you dare go by the oldest scriptures we have on the planet. Ain't that crazy? It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing crazy. Now, I know a lot of people get upset because I just say it the way it is. But hey, I'm not going to give you a pacifier. Amen. I'm not going to give you a pacifier. I'm not going to give you a watered-down message. I'm just going to say it the way it is. Because that's what we need. We need the unfiltered and uncompromised truth. Amen. Going back to Joel 1, verse 19. Joel 1, verse 19. To you, O oh Jesus, I cry. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field, even the beasts of the field paint for you, like a dog painting, with his tongue sticking out, because it's hot. For the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Blow a trumpet. Alarm in Zion. 
and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. And let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Be fearful. For the day of Jesus is coming. Surely it is near. What is God saying? What is God saying? God is saying the great tribulation is at the door. Don't think. Do not think that it's a year away. It is not. It is not. It is at the door. Amen. So, in relation to what has happened in Gatlinburg, God gave me the message for today and put these words in my mind and in my heart. Do not pray as the others do. Do not pray as the others do. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Do not pray as the others do. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Because occasionally I get these emails from people saying, you know, because there's a page on the website where you can send in your prayer requests. And people will send their prayer requests for their marriages and their finances and for people's salvation and healing and different things. But sometimes I get these prayer requests that are so generic, so generic, that it's just telling me to pray for the president or for the nation or for the world. The email will say, pray for the world, pray for the United States, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders. All these generic, cookie-cutter, ritual, traditional, program, brainwashed prayer requests. Who are these people trying to tell me what to pray for? If you want me to pray for your healing, I'll be glad to do that. If you want me to pray for your repentance or for revelation for you or confirmation for you, I'll be glad to do that. But who are these people? Tell me that I should pray for the nation. I've already been taught that. I've already been programmed all about that. But I'm no longer under the program and I'm no longer under the brainwashing. And I don't need somebody to tell me what to pray for in my own personal prayers. If you want me to pray for you, I'll be glad to pray for you. Or for your brother or your sister or your family or friend or your coworker or whatever. But don't tell me what I'm supposed to pray for on my own. You understand what I'm trying to say? But these people are so programmed that their own prayers and what they think they've got to tell me to pray for and what they think they've got to tell you to pray for is cookie-cutter Babylon. Cookie-cutter Babylon prayer. Do not pray as the others do, Jesus says. Do not pray as the others do. Do not pray a cookie-cutter Babylonian, ignorant prayer. Do not pray 
a crooked cutter, Babylonian, ignorant prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Amen. This is the words of Jesus, saying it the way it is. Saying it the way it is. Do not be like the hypocrites praying. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, meaning in the churches. These are religious people praying. But Jesus tells us not to do like they do, standing and praying in the synagogues and the churches on the street and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. That's their purpose, to be seen by men out of pride, out of vanity. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, they've already got the reward that they were seeking. They were seeking to be seen, to out of their own vanity, out of their own pride, that they thought in their mind, in their heart, oh, let me stand up and pray so that people will see that I'm holy. And there's people like that to this day. Don't be like that, Jesus said. Verse 6, but when... But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, please don't misunderstand. This is not saying that you can never, ever, ever, ever pray in public. That's not what it's saying. If you want to bow your head or pray in a different manner at your meal in a restaurant, that is okay. It's not wrong to do that as long as your heart is right and your mind is right about why you're praying and you're actually truly, truly, truly praying in thanks and gratitude for that food or for protection from whatever the ingredients may be. These are acceptable reasons to pray over your food, even in public. But, but, you should not be praying over your food only because it's a cookie-cutter prayer. You should not be praying over your food just because it's a ritual. But if you pray over your food or at any other time praying, for any reason, it should be out of your heart because you really want to pray this, because you truly are thankful for the food, or because you do understand and realize the need for protection from the ingredients of the food, from pesticides and chemicals and so forth, that you're praying for a true and sincere reason, not because you've been programmed to pray, not because it's a cookie-cutter prayer, not because it is a ritual. I must do this because it's a ritual. No, God does not accept that type of prayer. He only accepts prayer over your food or any other prayer, only because it is truly sincere in your heart and your mind that you're doing this for a specific reason. Because you see the need for it, a need to give God thanks or a need to ask for protection or whatever. But not out of ritual or cookie cutter or programming. And the context of these verses here 
is that these people were praying out of pride and vanity. Jesus is not saying it's wrong for somebody to see you pray. He didn't say that. Keep it in the context that these people were praying to be seen. That is the reason that they were praying. Now, it is good and it is acceptable and it is advisable for you to keep your prayers secret, in private, as Jesus said to do. This is the best way to pray. The best way to pray is in your prayer closet. Your prayer closet might be your car or your bedroom or your kitchen or your living room or your dining room or an actual closet or a small room that you have set apart. Or your prayer closet may be under a tree or in the garage or in the basement or in the attic. It don't have to be a literal closet. Amen. Or even your bathroom is a good prayer closet as well. And that's the best way to pray. But there was times that Jesus prayed in public in front of people. Right? Right. Jesus did pray in front of his friends, his followers, and those people that followed him around. He didn't think that you have to hide every time. It's all right for somebody to see you praying. It's all right for your husband or wife or children or friends or congregation or people in a restaurant. It's all right for them to see you praying as long as you're praying Sincerely for the right reason and not praying as the others do for their reason, for their rituals, and for their programming. And then let's keep reading here in verse 7, Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. You know what I was talking about? Hail Mary 1, Hail Mary 2, Hail Mary 3, Hail Mary 4, Hail Mary 5, Hail Mary 6, Hail Mary 7. That's where the Catholics pray sometimes. Literally counting the Hail Marys. And the Catholic priest would say, well, if you want forgiveness for a certain sin, you must say 20 Hail Marys or four Hail Marys, or ten Hail Marys. How ridiculous is that? God doesn't want a broken record. God doesn't want a cookie-cutter prayer, or what somebody else is telling you to pray. The priest says, pray ten Hail Marys. Somebody's telling you what to pray, That ain't right. And just like these people that say, repeat after me this prayer of salvation, dear Father in heaven. That is telling the people the exact words you got to pray, the exact words to get saved. That ain't right. God doesn't want the prayer of salvation, to be a cookie-cutter prayer, repeat these words after me. He wants it 
truly from the heart, truly from the heart, what that person has to say to him, not what the person beside you has to say, not the person beside you telling you what to say, but he wants to hear from you, from you. If you want to pray for the world or for the nation or for the leader, you do it. Don't tell me to do it. If that is your heart, you do it. Don't tell me to do it. I will pray from my heart. You pray from your heart. Amen. And in verse 8, so do not be like them. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. He already knows you need this amount of money. He already knows you have this concern, this pain, this ache, this concern, this need. He already knows what your brother said. He already knows what your uh, co-worker said. He already knows all this. So he doesn't need many, many, many words. And he doesn't need to hear the same prayer over and over and over the next day, the next day, the next day, cookie-cutter prayer, saying the exact words. If that's the kind of prayer he wants, you might as well record it. He might as well record it and then just let it play and play on the CD the next day because it'd be no difference. There'd be no difference in your prayer today from yesterday. You might as well burn it onto CD and just play the CD instead of praying it tomorrow. Because God's already heard it. God wants a new prayer. Amen? Have you ever talked to somebody over the phone or maybe in person and they tell you the same thing over and over and over and over and then the next Next thing you know, you see them in the grocery store. You quickly go to the next aisle. Oh, God, I hope they didn't see me. I don't want because you don't want to hear somebody say the same thing over and over and over and over. God is like, where's my earplugs? God already knows all this stuff. You've already told him a million times. Do not pray as the others do. Many repetitions. Now, it is true, of course, the Bible does tell us that we are to be like the woman that went to the unjust judge who the judge would not give her what she wanted until she kept going back over and over and over. And finally, the judge got tired of hearing it and did grant her what she wanted. And it says that how much more so will our Heavenly Father, the just judge, give us our petitions, what we are asking for. And we are to ask, the Bible says, that you have not because you ask not. So some people take this to the other extreme. It says here that the Father already knows what we need, but even before we ask, so they don't even ask. Well, that's going all the way over to the other side of the road, to the other extreme, that we don't even ask. And that's not right either. So the Bible does say that we are to continue to go back to him over and over and over. But not the way others do. 
So how should we pray then? What is the right balance? The right balance is that, yeah, we keep asking the Father to, you know, uh, please move in this situation. But it shouldn't be the exact same words. We should evolve in our prayer. We should be like, Father, I, I know that you already know this. I know that you've already heard this. I know I've already asked about this. But my concern is getting more heavy. My concern is getting deeper. Or I'm not seeing a movement. I'm not seeing an improvement. So I'm asking you again, Father, would you please consider this petition, this, this concern, would you please do this? And so your prayer over the weeks and over the months and over the years of continuing to pray for a person evolves, that you start using a different wording, that you start, you know, venting more with God, sharing your frustration, sharing your disappointments, sharing your anger and your joy and your tears and just being honest from the heart to him. Not saying it with the exact same words. And then also, not always praying for the same people. One day you might pray for person number 15 on your list. Another day you might pray for number 7 on your list. The next day you might pray for number 40 on your list if you were to number all the different people and situations you prayed for. And so you don't always have to go all the way down the list and list every single name in every situation. Take turns. One pray one day for another, one day for another, one day for another. Some days praying for three people. Some days praying for five people. Some days praying for ten people. Some days praying for 20 people, 30, 40, 50 people. And other days praying for only one person. So change it around. Change it around. And share your, your most recent feelings. Share your most recent feelings and your most recent concerns and the most recent prayer requests and the most recent needs, and the most recent concerns. What is new today in your heart? What is new today in your mind? God has already heard yesterday's prayer. What's happening today? Amen. What's happening today? And then what's happening tomorrow and next week? What is your new concerns? And also continuing occasionally to bring up needs that you've been praying for for days and weeks and years, continue to bring those up too, but in a new manner or in a new way or a new word. or, or uh, And you can even drop people off your list and add new people and new concerns and drop the old ones that are unrepentant and that you know, hey, I've come to realization now that some people just ain't going to repent and it's not God's fault or my fault. It's their own fault. Drop them off the list and pray for somebody new. Pray for a new person, a new concern, a new need, a new situation in your life. God already knows about that person that's not repenting. Let's give somebody else a chance to repent. 
Let's give somebody else a chance to be prayed for more, more heavenly, and more more focused on this new person. Amen. And in verse 9, it says, pray then in this way. And then he starts giving a, a, a basic outline of how to pray. Now, a lot of people call this the Lord's Prayer in verse 9 through 13, as if this is exactly what he was praying. And that's not right. That's not true. Jesus was not literally praying in these verses, verses 9 to 13. You have this uh, called the Lord's Prayer, and they put it on uh, signs, pictures, and they, people put this up on their wall, and people teach and believe that this was Jesus praying. It was not Jesus praying. Jesus did not pray this prayer because it was only Jesus teaching us how to pray. It's Jesus saying, pray like this. He's not saying repeat these words. He did not say repeat these words. It is not right to repeat these words as your own personal prayer. God doesn't even want a cookie-cutty prayer of this is what Jesus said and I'm going to say it. God doesn't want you to pray this prayer. This is not a prayer. This is a teaching. This is Jesus saying pray like this. He didn't say pray these words. He said pray like this. It is an outline, how to pray. It is a teaching. It is not actually a prayer. So he said, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, sanctified be your name. So what he's saying there is the first thing you should do when you pray is to acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. So when you first pick up the phone, you say, hello. You are acknowledging the person. Somebody comes to the door, you acknowledge them. Uh, or whatever, you see somebody in the store and you talk to them, you acknowledge them. You shake their hand. You ask them how they're doing, how you're doing today. So you make a salutation. You make acknowledgement of him. And you honor him and you respect him and you worship him. So you start your prayer by acknowledging him and Saluting him, worshiping him, praying to him, and um, worshiping him. So that is what he is teaching in that verse. <clears throat> verse 10, your kingdom come. Now, did he pray, or he didn't pray, but did he at any time in this teaching, did he at any time in this teaching say, pray for the welfare of the nation. Pray for the welfare of the city. Pray that judgment won't come or pray for the leaders. Not in this teaching. You might can get examples of that in other verses. But in this teaching, in these verses, Instead of praying for the United States or for Jerusalem or for Israel, in this verse, Jesus himself is saying, your kingdom, your kingdom, Father, come. 
your kingdom come. We should be praying that. Jesus is teaching us to pray that his kingdom will come. Now, it's going to come. Whether we pray it or not, it's going to happen. But we are praying that it is going to come soon. That is what he's really saying here. He doesn't have to say the word soon, but it's only common sense. It don't make sense to pray your kingdom come when it's already going to come. It's going to come if nobody on this earth prays this, it's still going to come. What he means is that his kingdom will come soon and your will be done. Your will. So he's saying before you even ask what you want for yourself and that person and this person and that person, before you ask anything for yourself or somebody else, you put God's will first. God's will. That's what we need to be praying for. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he starts saying to pray for your own needs and others. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and also as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when it's saying that, we know that God does not tempt us to sin in the same way the devil tempts us to sin. But what it's saying is that God is in control. God is in control. And God can deliver us from certain temptations, and God can deliver us from falling to temptation. So basically, it's saying to pray something like this. Father, please help me to not sin today. Please help me to not do this today. Help me to not do that today. Please help me through this situation or through this temptation. And let not the devil have power to tempt me. Because you remember that Satan had to ask God's permission to touch Job. And the same is true today. It hasn't changed. The devil has to ask God's permission to physically hurt you. Now, the devil can tempt you to sin without God's permission. But to actually hurt your body or to kill you or to bring a major plague upon you or a sickness or a disease or something like that or to bring a major, major obstacle in your life, he would need God's permission. So that's basically what Jesus is saying to praise. Please don't grant permission to the devil to do such and such. Please don't grant permission to the devil to do such and such. Now, that don't mean that God is obligated to fulfill that prayer request because it may be God's will, and God's will comes first, and we pray that first. 
It may be God's will that we will undergo that disease or that sickness or that affliction or that temptation. It may be what we need, whether we realize it or not. It may be what we need. And therefore, your will first, Father, before my will, your will, Father, be done, not mine. And it says here, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In other words, we start our prayer and we end our prayer in worship. Amen. Now, our prayer might be only 30 seconds long or 30 minutes long. But rather, it's 30 seconds long or 30 minutes long. We should be praising God in our prayers. Amen. We should be praising God in our prayers. But again, every prayer should be a little bit different than the other prayers. Always evolving in your prayers. And it's okay because we're ceasing. We're, we're, we're praying without ceasing. We're praying without ceasing, which means you don't always have to say uh, all the same words. You don't have to be a cookie-cutter prayer every time and always end in Jesus' name, although you should always end all your longer prayers in Jesus' name. For example, if I was going to if I was going to sit down and pray for a whole five minutes nonstop, that would need to end in Jesus' name. But if I'm just praying as I'm walking around the house and I'm just casually as a friend saying, Lord, please help me with this, or God, please help me with this, or you know, this or that or whatever, I don't have to like always, 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 ever five seconds, always say in Jesus' name. Right? Right. Every minute, every five minutes, every 30 minutes of the day, always in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. No. That's just cookie cutter. That's just ritual. That's just many repetitions. Now, like I said, a lot of people think that, well, we've got to pray for the welfare of these nations. We've got to pray for the welfare of Gatlinburg. And they think that we've got to pray that the fires go out and that no one gets hurt and that the businesses are safe and that the woods are safe and that uh, the fire will go out and that rain will come and all this. People assume that. Because people want to assume that that it's best for everything to be peaceful, for there not to be a fire, for there not to be destruction, for there not to be uh, pain and suffering. People assume that that would be good. But the truth is that the people of Gatlinburg and people from all around the world that go to Gatlinburg to visit for vacation, and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and Gatlinburg area is the number one uh, tourist attraction uh, in the world, I think, and definitely the number one uh, national park in the United States. Over a million people visit there every year, and... Uh, from all around the world that visit there. 
And they go there to see the Christmas lights and to shop in the stores and uh, to uh, rent expensive cabins and and this and that and this and that and uh, to buy such and such. And and it's just a, a, uh, for a very, very, very small town, it's a uh, metro monopolist. Uh, type of a merchant city. And um, it's really sinful the way that that the people idolize that town. And uh, it's in uh, Sevier County where Dolly Parton is from and and Sevier County and Pigeon Forge area, they have uh, Dollywood which is an amusement park, a very, very popular amusement park. And the people of this area that live around here, and many people around the world as well, literally worship Dolly Parton. Literally worship Dolly Parton. I mean, they don't get down on the ground and pray to her, but they still literally worship her uh, in their hearts and in their minds, whether they realize it or not. And they're major fanatics, and how dare you say anything about Dolly Parton. And they tr- literally almost treat her like a Diana uh, of the Book of Acts, like that female goddess in the Book of Acts. But the truth is, Dolly Parton is a horrible sinner and a horrible major hypocrite. When Jesus said hypocrite over and over and over and over and over uh uh, I tell you, if there was ever a hypocrite on this earth, it is Dolly Parton. Because she claims to be saved. She claims to be a Christian. She claims to follow Jesus Christ, know Jesus Christ, and she's going to heaven when she does. But, but, she keeps Christmas. That is a hypocrite. And also, she keeps Easter. That is a hypocrite. But we know a lot of hypocrites, don't we? The land is full of hypocrites. And also, she she says, that even though she's saved and going to heaven and knows Jesus and is a Christian, she also says that we shouldn't judge gay people and we shouldn't speak out against homosexual marriage and homosexuality. And she says that Christians who do speak out against homosexuality are hypocrites. That's what she says. She says that Christians and preachers and churches that preach against homosexuality, that they are hypocrites. Her own words. She is of the devil. Amen? She is of the devil. And yet they have a statue of her there. A statue of her. So, no. I do not glorify or idolize Dolly Parton anymore. But being a person that was born in this area, I confess that, yeah, at one time, I did idolize and worship Dolly Parton. And Elvis Presley, too, at one time. But then Jesus opened my eyes and and helped me to understand that Elvis and Dolly Parton and the Beatles and a lot of those old people that I was programmed and brainwashed to worship, that they were evil people, evil people. And they are hypocrites. 
and they are nobody to idolize or look up to. They're no one to look up to, regardless of how good they act or how good they seem. They're not anyone to look up to. They don't deserve it. Amen. Let's turn to Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. And the truth is, it is not the will of God for us to be praying for the fires to go out and for the um, everything to be well. Now, of course, God would prefer it to be well, but it's not well. And the reality is things are not horky-dory or whatever you call it. Horky-dory? Honky-dory. Honky-dory. Okay. It's not hunky-dory. And so there, there is a problem. There is sin in the land. There is sin in the region. There is sin in the world. There is sin in the people. And they must be judged. They must be judged. In Jeremiah 1, verse 9, Then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, Jeremiah says. And Jesus said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to bring peace or pray for their prosperity? No, but rather to pluck up and to break down and to destroy and to overthrow and to build and to plant. In other words, if the kingdom of God is going to come, then these kingdoms, these nations, and these cities must cease to exist. Must cease to exist. Now, that doesn't mean that you or me or the followers of this ministry need to go out there waging literal physical war. No. Jeremiah did not lift up a sword. We don't live by the sword. We don't live by guns and ammo, and we are not rebels and patriots. We are not. But rather, we are people who are fighting a war spiritually with our tongue, with our mouth, with the words of God. Not praying that destruction won't come, but actually praying for the destruction to come, for punishment to come to that wicked, wicked city of Gatlinburg and Asheville and Knoxville and New York, Chicago, Detroit, Cincinnati, all these cities. We need to be praying down the fire from heaven upon these cities. Not that we would ever lift a sword or a gun, that we will lift up the word of God in our mouth and pray against these cities. That is the will of God. Your kingdom comes soon, Lord. Let this city burn to the ground. 
Now, it takes a mature Christian, a mature follower of Jesus Christ, to be able to pray something like that. But the people of the world would have you pray for peace and prosperity of the land. A cookie cutter, traditional program, brainwashed prayer. But we are not like the people. And we should not be like the Baptist church, praying the same way that they pray. But God said to Jeremiah that I put my, my words in your mouth to destroy the nations with the words of his mouth. And to overthrow and destroy these places and then to build and plant the kingdom of God. And look at chapter 7, Jeremiah 7, verse uh, 16. Jeremiah 7, verse 16. Now, yes, there are some verses in the Bible where it does tell us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for our leaders and pray for the welfare of the city pray for the welfare of the nation. There are verses for all of that. But the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you can turn there sometime later, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that there is a time for war. There's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time uh, to love and a time to hate, a time to be at peace and a time for war. So yeah, there is a time or was a time in the past a hundred years ago, eighty years ago, seventy years ago, there was a time to pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem and for the nations and the cities and the leaders. But that time is gone. We don't pray today the same way we prayed yesterday. We don't pray the same this year as we prayed last year. We don't pray the same in the last three and a half years as what we prayed a hundred years ago. We live in a different day now. We live in a different time now. Our prayers now need to be for the kingdom of God to come. The kingdom of God cannot come until these cities burn. The kingdom of God cannot and will not come until New York is gone, Chicago is gone, Tokyo is gone, Sydney is gone, wiped off the map, Texas, Florida, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Chicago, Memphis, Detroit, Knoxville, Cincinnati, Asheville, Charlotte, Raleigh, North Carolina, all gone completely to the ground, to the foundation before Jesus can come back. Jesus cannot come back today. He cannot come back this year. He cannot come back next year because he is not a liar. And all this must happen before he comes back. Amen. Jeremiah 7, verse 16. God tells Jeremiah in that day and that time in the context of the nation of Jerusalem and Israel was about to be invaded by Babylon. And God tells Jeremiah, as for you, do not pray Do not pray for this people. And do not lift up a cry or a prayer for them. 
and do not intercede with me, for I do not hear you. Now, that don't mean he can't hear us. God hears everything, every thought. But what it means is he does not hearken unto us. It needs to be translated as that he would not hearken to us, which means that he won't answer that prayer. He will not answer that prayer. So you might as well not even pray it. And in fact, God says, don't pray it. Because if you do, it's just in vain. I'm not going to answer the prayer. I will not listen to you. I will not pay attention to you. It's just like these people that tell you the same thing over and over over and over. You might hear them, but you're not going to pay attention to them. So it's, I'm not going to hearken to you. I'm not going to pay attention to you. I'm not going to answer that prayer. Verse 17. Do you not see? God says, don't you see? Don't you understand? Don't you see their sins and their wickedness? Do you not see what they are doing in the cities? It don't matter whether it says Jerusalem or Judah here. The same thing is true of Gatlinburg, Asheville, Charlotte, New York, Cincinnati, Detroit, all these cities and more and more and more, the same is true. Don't you see what they're doing? In the streets, cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, verse 18, the children gathering wood and the fathers kindled a fire and the women need dough, dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. Who's the queen of heaven? Easter. Esther. Easter is the queen of heaven. This is talking about Easter and Christmas worship. That's exactly what it's talking about, Christmas and Easter. And it's talking about baking cakes, which people do on Christmas and Easter. And it says they pour out drink offerings to other gods in order to spite me. It's a vote against God that they leave out cookies and milk for Santa Claus, which is an offering to Satan. This is exactly what it is to leave out candy or milk or cookies for Santa Claus. It is an offering to Satan. This is exactly what it is. Evil as that is. That's what Christmas is about. Easter and Christmas is demonic. Verse, and they do it to spite God. They don't know that's what they're doing, but that is what they're doing because there is a spirit behind it. A spirit that is controlling these people. It's called the Christmas spirit, and it is a spirit. Did you know the Christmas spirit is very, very real? And that's why if we're going to tell people the truth about Christmas and Easter and Halloween, it's best to tell them at a completely different time of year. Amen? Because once they get in the Christmas spirit, they are under a demonic spirit that is controlling every move they make in their Christmas plan. So if you're going to reach somebody with the truth about Christmas, you've got to tell them in June or May or a different, completely different time of the year. Same thing is true for Halloween and Easter and Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day and all the other evil days. If you're going to reach somebody with the truth, you've got to pick a different time of the year to do it. And then in verse 19... Do they spite me? 
declares G, is it not themselves they spite their own destruction to their own shame? Therefore thus saith the Lord G, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place. Who are we to say, God, uh, don't do it? Hey, God is God, and he has a right to do it. Amen. My wrath will be poured out in this place on man and on beast and on the trees. At this time of year, they are cutting the trees in the Smoky Mountains for Christmas trees. God is destroying the Christmas trees. Let them burn. Let's pray for more fire. Let those trees burn. He's going to pour out his wrath on man, beasts, and trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn. Not maybe. It will burn and not be quenched, meaning it will not be put out by man. The fire is still burning. In fact, we had heavy, heavy, heavy downpours, and the fire is still burning. That's God. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. And look at chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 14. Chapter 11, verse 14. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. Now, the other, the other verse we read said, uh, I would not hear your prayer. But this one says, I would not hear their prayer. So he's not going to listen to our prayer or their prayer either one. We can both be praying and he still won't listen because judgment has to come. I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. Then look at chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 11. Chapter 14, verse 11. Chapter 14, verse 11. So Jesus said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of his people. When they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. Even if they fast, these are religious people. I mean, people don't like to fast. But yet, not only are they praying, they're fasting, and he still won't even listen to them because of their sins. They have to repent. You can fast all you want to. If you don't repent, God is not going to answer the prayer. 
And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. Sword, famine, and pestilence. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Jesus said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. Well, that sounds very familiar to, what is it, Matthew 7, I think, that says, uh, now everyone, it says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in. So many will say to me in that day, did I not pray in your name? Did I not cast out devils? Did I did not work out mighty miracles in your name? And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And so it says, send them away from my presence and let them go. Verse 2, and it shall be that when they say to you, where should we go? Then you are to say, tell them, thus saith the Lord, gee, those destined for death, to death. Those destined for the sword, to the sword. And those destined to famine, to famine, and those destined for captivity, to captivity. Now, the word desert is not in there. It's in italics. So man has added the word desert. But in other words, in other words, he's saying that those are going to die, let them die. I'm not going to hear their prayers. Now, some people will be, uh, live, some people will live, but they will have family. They will have disease and sickness and hunger and starvation. Some people will have captivity and be taken away as prisoners of war. Let it happen. Let it happen. It's got to happen. It needs to happen. We don't seek the bad for people. But the reality is that if we love them and seek they're good, if we do seek the good of the people and want the best for the people, they need strength. And that is the best thing that could happen for them. And if we truly love them, then we will pray that they be spanked, that the judgments will come so that they will repent and follow the Lord and be saved in the end. That's the best thing that could ever happen for them. If we seek their good, then we seek the end of this world, the, the chastisement, the judgments, and the repentance, that all these things will come for their good. Even God himself doesn't want to bring all the bad. God is only seeking the good of the people. But if he wants the good of the people, he has to bring the judgment and the punishment to get the people back in control, because the people are out of control. The people are totally out of control. Totally out of control. They don't use their turn signals. <laughs> they don't turn on the, their headlights when it's raining. They're totally out of control. All right, then, 
let's look at Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel over to the right. Just a few pages to the right. Ezekiel 14, verse 12. Ezekiel 14, verse 12. You can tell I get so aggravated when I'm driving. Because people are out of control on the roads as well. But simple thing, a very, very, very simple thing as driving a car does indicate how much you care about other people's lives. Because if you don't care about anybody but yourself, you ain't going to use that turn signal. But if you do care about other people around you and you do care about obeying the law and being a respectful, responsible person, you will obey the law and use your seatbelt and your turn signals and put your lights on when it's raining. It's only respect for the other people's lives and for the law. It shows the status of your soul, the way you drive. And Ezekiel 14, verse 12, Ezekiel 14, verse 12, then the word of G came to me, saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me, so this goes beyond just Israel and Judah, if a country, any country, sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut all from it, both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, if these three men were in the midst of that city, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord G. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they depopulated the land and it became desolate so that no one would pass through it because of the beast. Though these three men were in the midst, as I live, declares the Lord Chief, they could not deliver or intercede either their sons or their daughters. In other words, even if Noah and Daniel and Job were alive, which they're not, but even if they were alive and living today and praying for these people, God would not hear their prayers. And the other verse said, that even if uh, Samuel, and who was the other one we'll go in the other verse? Moses. The other verse we read while ago said, even if Moses and Samuel were to intercede for the people, God wouldn't hear their prayers. And this one says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in these cities and was praying for the people, he would not even hear their prayers. So who are we to think that God's going to hear our prayers for these people? The people have to be judged. And it says they they won't even deliver their prayers even if Noah was to pray for his own children. Even if Daniel was to pray for his own children. 
even if Job was to pray for his own children, that God would not hear these prayers. Why? Because nobody can pray for you. You have to pray for yourself. Nobody can pray for you. Now, of course, we do pray for one another, but the bottom line is going to come down to you and your decisions and your life. Are you repenting or not? Are you obeying God or not? I could pray for you and fast for you more than myself, more than my wife. More than anyone else, pray for you, 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 till I'm blue in the face. But if you are not repenting and you are not living for God, then God ain't going to hear my prayers. The bottom line is only you can pray for you. Only you can repent for you. When judgment day comes, you stand at the judgment seat of God. I'm not going to stand beside you. You're going to stand there all by yourself. And so, children, don't depend on mom's prayers for you because you have to be responsible to God yourself. Amen. Every person on this earth has to answer to God face-to-face for your own sin for your own prayer, for your own life. Nobody can stand with you and nobody else can take the blame. We can't point the finger and say, well, he tempted me or she tempted me or he deceived me or she deceived me or they told me this or they told me that. There ain't going to be no pointing the finger to the other person. We each one individually have to take our own responsibility for our own life our own decisions, and how we live for God. So we each need to become eventually so mature that we no longer even ask for anybody else's prayers. That's the truth. Now, once we, when, when, we, when, when we first come to God, when we first decide we're going to live for God, We do. As babies in Christ Jesus, we're always asking other people for their prayers. And that's good, that's acceptable, that's okay. Because when we are young in Jesus, we do need everybody's praying for us. We do. But we need eventually, all of us, to become strong enough in the Lord, mature enough in the Lord eventually, to where our own prayers are being heard by God. And we know that. And we realize that. And we don't need to ask somebody else to pray because we know that God is hearing our prayer and that we're going to be held accountable for our own situation. And that I can have a thousand people praying for me, but it's my prayers God wants to hear. God don't want to hear a thousand people praying for me. God wants me to pray. God wants me to repent, me to live for him, me to make that decision to live for him and obey. Nobody else's prayers really even count but our own to God. Amen. But now, 
there are times, even as a mature Christian, that we face tremendous afflictions and weaknesses and frustrations. And it's okay at that moment of time to reach out to a true brother and sister and ask for prayer. I do that even myself to this day. But I do, I do ask other people for their prayers a whole lot less than I used to, a lot less than I used to, because I know God hears my prayers, and I don't have to ask somebody else to pray. I can pray on my own. I can pray, and God will hear me. So why do I need to ask somebody else? But there are times that I'm weak that I do need to reach out for other people's prayers, and that's okay, but it needs to be less and less and less and less. Before Jesus comes, I need to be totally dependent on my own prayers by the time Jesus comes. I need to be totally dependent on my own prayers, not on training wheels or crutches of somebody else's prayers, but on my own prayers by the time that Jesus comes. Now, in Ezekiel 14, and you know where we was? Did I even start this chapter? Okay, we was over here in about verse 16. Even if these men were in the midst, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver their own sons and daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Verse 17, or if I should bring a sword on that country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in the midst, Noah, Daniel, and Job, as I live, declares the Lord Jesus, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters that they alone would be delivered. In other words, for their own prayer, their own prayer. Verse 19, or if I should send a plague against that country and pour out my wrath and uh, in blood on it to cut off man and beast from that. Even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the midst, as I live, declares the Lord Jesus, they could not deliver either their sons or daughters. They could only deliver only themselves by their righteousness, their own righteousness. Amen. And verse 21, For thus saith the Lord Jesus, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague, to cut off man and beast from it. Yet, behold, survivors will be left in it, who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. God, God did not destroy all of Gatlinburg. God did not destroy all of Gatlinburg. There are some buildings left and some survivors left. And God always leaves a remnant behind. God always preserves a remnant. God always leaves some people alive. And it says, Behold, they are going to come forth to you, and you will see their conduct and their actions. Then you will be comforted, comforted for the calamity which I have brought against that city, Jerusalem, or, or New York, or Sydney, or 
Gatlinburg, for everything which I have brought upon it, then they will comfort you when you see their conduct and actions, for you will know that I have not done it in vain whatever I did to it, declares the Lord Jesus. In other words, after judgment comes, you're going to see a change in the people, their conduct, their actions, their attitude, their lives, because they're going to repent. God's not doing this in vain. He's doing it for a reason. There's a reason for these things. And we're going to see repentance. But we're not going to see repentance until more judgment comes. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to see that Jesus actually cursed some cities when he was walking on earth in the form of a man. Luke chapter 10. Was Jesus going around saying, bless you, bless you, bless you, peace to you, peace to you, bless you, peace to you. He did that a little bit. But he also cursed cities. Luke 10 verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And when he was saying to them, and he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech or pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And go, and behold, then he says, you go. He says, pray for more laborers to be sent. Then he tells them, you go. You be the laborers. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of woods. The people are out of control. The people are mean. The people are sinful. The people are bad. In the midst of woods, carry no money belt or bag or shoes and greet no one on the way. Now, that don't mean that we got to go barefoot today. That don't mean that we can't have some money in our pocket. But what it means is that that day and time, in that day and time, those 70 men were sent out and Jesus told them, don't take extra money, don't take extra supplies with you. In other words, because, because it was the job, the duty and the responsibility of those people that the people, that those 70 people were going out to preach to, that those people supposed to pay their tithes and those people are supposed to take care of the ministers, give them a place to live, give them a place to lay their head down at night as they're traveling through, give them shelter and food and take care of them. So you're not going to need to bring your extra supplies. Go lightly to where you can just pick up and leave. So pack light and let the people take care of the ministers. That's the way it's supposed to be done. But then later on, in another chapter, they come back from that journey of evangelism, and Jesus tells them, next time, take supplies, take money, because the people did not do it. The people do not fulfill their duty and their job and their responsibility, and they don't 
give the people a place to stay overnight and a warm meal. The Bible says that Jesus himself had no place to lay his head. The people were not walking in their door, their home, to the ministers of God. So now we can take extra supplies with us. But at that time, in this verse, he's saying don't take the supplies with you. And in verse 5, it says, whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house because they're letting you in the door, they're embracing you. Verse 6, if a man of peace is there, a man that listens to you, a man that is receiving your word, a man of peace is there, then your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remove your peace from that man. Verse 7, stay in that house eating and drinking what they would give you if they're at peace with you. If they're listening to you teach, if they're listening to you share the truth with them, then stay in that house eating and drinking with them and receive what they give you. For the laborer, the minister, is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Stay with those people that are listening to you. Verse 8. And whatever city you shall enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in that city who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God. Don't say to them, Jerusalem, but say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, they don't accept the truth, go out, leave it, out of the street, and say, verse 11, even the dust or the ashes, the ashes could be translated there, of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. In other words, curse that city. When you take and wipe the dust or the ashes off the soles of your feet, that is a curse on that city. Cursing it to burn to the ground. That's exactly what that's talking about. Exactly what it's talking about. Cursing the city if they don't listen to the truth. And this applies to people as well. It does apply to people. Doesn't the city... You're not cursing the buildings. You're cursing the people. And it says, yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 12, I say to you, it will be more, it will be more tolerable in that day of judgment for Solomon than for that city. Woe to you, Chron of Zim, which is the name of a town in that time. Woe to you, Beth Seder, which is another town of that time. He is cursing those two different towns. He's cursing. That's exactly what Jesus is doing there. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, 
which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. That's why Joel 1 and Joel 2 tells the people to do, to sit in sackcloth and ashes, which means to pray and to fast. Now, that day and time, they literally did put on the sackcloth, which is like really, really uncomfortable, itchy, rough fabric like a potato sack. Really rough fabric that where your skin is being abrased by your clothing. It's not soft and comfortable shoes. It's not soft and comfortable shirts. It's not pretty and decorated in blue and pink. But it's rough, itchy, wool-like, ugly, potato sack fabric. Put on this to humble your flesh and to afflict your flesh and fast and cry. Don't seek comfort. Don't seek comfort. But seek humility on the ground, crying, weeping for not the safety of the buildings and not for safety of every person, but rather for repentance, 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 repentance. To get the rain, to get the fire, let's pray for repentance and for laborers for the truth to be told for uh, ways and means of the truth reaching the people that the people will hear the truth and that the people will embrace and accept the truth and that the people will repent once it's done with that's what we need to pray For for repentance to come when the judgment is done, or even before the judgment is done, that the people will see the fire, smell the smoke, and think to themselves, you know what? I'm a sinful person, and this is judgment from God, and I must repent. That should be our prayer, that the people would start thinking about God, about the Bible, and about repentance. That's really all we need to pray for, is that these people would start having that attitude of repentance and heart of repentance. Let's go to Revelation 18. Revelation chapter 18. And everybody would say, well, every verse you've read so far is about events in towns and cities of 2,000 years ago. What about today? So Revelation 18 will be focusing more about our day and our time and things that we're going to see in our lifetime if we're alive at that time. Revelation 18, verse 1.
18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was lit up, illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now this is at the coming of the Lord, the day of the battle of Armageddon. And Babylon, a huge metropolitan city, has been destroyed. That's exactly what's occurring in this verse. And that city, a real city, somewhere on earth, whether it is Mecca or whether it is uh, Istabu, Turkey, or Mecca, Saudi Arabia, or Damascus, or some other city. I know it's not New York. I know it's not America, because New York and America will be destroyed years before this. Because those are going to be destroyed before Jesus comes back. But this city will be destroyed on the day Jesus comes back. So it's a different time frame. It don't matter what city that is. The point is, there is a city somewhere on earth right now that is going to be destroyed on the day Jesus comes back that the Bible, the Bible calls Babylon. But now it's also true, of course, that Babylon represents false religion and false churches. So this is dual. Remember that in prophecy, most prophecies are dual, which means they have two meanings. So one meaning of Babylon is that it is a literal city, but the second meaning of Babylon is all, all false religion, all false religion, all false churches, that they're fallen. And it says, she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird, which is a symbol for demons. And verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. You cannot literally drink uh, immorality. So this is symbolic. This is spiritual speaking. You can't literally drink immorality. Give me a bottle of immorality. No, you can't do that. So it's spiritually saying that the false religion and that town have deceived the people and led the people in sin. Led the people in sin. And the kings of the earth had committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth had become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Alpha and Omega Bible would say, I believe, that they have become rich by her uh, lasciviousness, and uh, 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 yeah, lasciviousness, which means uncontrolled passions of sin. Uncontrolled passions of sins. They're out of control. And Gatlinburg, even though it's not 
the Babylon city. It is a miniature Babylon city. It is a foreshadowing of the fall of Babylon. It is a Babylon of East Tennessee. And so the people have become rich by the wealth of all that merchandise, Christmas shopping, and all of that, that the store owners, the corporations that have those stores are becoming rich from the people's lasciviousness, from the people's sin, from the people keeping Christmas. It's a sinful town. It's all about raising money for Christmas and getting rich people even richer and worshiping Dolly Parton and everything else. Verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Now, when it says that, it is primarily talking about come out of false religion. That's what it's really and truly saying. It's not saying leave the United States, even though there's a lot of people teaching that's what it means. And that's not what it means. It does not mean leave the United States. It means come out of false religion so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven. That's how bad it is. And God has remembered her iniquities, meaning breaking of his law. Pay her back, even as she has paid, and give back to her double, according to her deeds, double judgment. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. She's the one that brought it on herself. She is the one that is being held accountable for her own sins. She mixed the potion. She mixed the immorality. She mixed it, mixed twice as much for her. Give it her own. She laid, she made her bed literally in it. She made her own bed literally in it. Verse 7, to the degree that she glorified herself, pride and vanity, and lived sensually, meaning lasciviously, out of control. To the same degree, out of control, give her torment and mourning. To the same degree that she sinned, so shall be her punishment. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow. That's the same attitude of uh, the Laodicean church. I'm rich. I don't have need. I don't have need to be corrected. How dare you tell me what to do? That's the attitude being described here. I'm the queen. Don't tell me what to do. I will do as I will. (laughs) I didn't know I had an English accent. And we'll never see mourning. People say, oh, America will never fall. America will never be invaded. They say that. I've heard them say that. I'm sure you've heard that. Oh, Australia will never be invaded. At least the South Koreans have enough sense to know that war is coming and that North Korea will sooner or later, after all the huffing and puffing and all the false alarms and crying woof, Sooner or later, North Korea will attack South Korea. And the people of South Korea, they know this. They know it. 
they live in the reality of a coming invasion that's just only a matter of time. Not yes, but only when. The Americans are totally ignorant because of pride. They're arrogant. I am a queen. I was. I sit and and I would never see mourning. I would never see invasion. America has an attitude, but that don't mean that America is a very, very physical city. For the physical city of Babylon is surely in the Middle East. In verse 8, for this reason, for this reason, this is why. Because of the pride and the arrogance and the sinfulness and the out of control. For this reason, in one day, one day, it only takes a second for the whole world to change. People are like, well, people are like, well, I don't think it's going to happen. Or oh, it's okay today. I don't see the war today. So, but then tomorrow you wake up and look what's on the news. That the whole world changes so fast. And one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning, and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Amen. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived lasciviously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. The presidents, the prime ministers and the kings, and even the people and the merchants, even as it says in a few verses here, they're going to be uh, crying, literally crying, and sorrowful that this city has been burned down to the foundation. And in verse 10, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city, Babylon, the strong city like Jericho, for in one hour your judgment has come. One hour. It said one day. Now it says one hour. It only takes a second. It don't have to say the word second here. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Now, we have to read the whole Bible, and we know that everything happens in order. First, you have to have the fifth seal has to open up. Then the sixth seal has to be opened. Then the seventh seal has to be opened. Then the first trumpet, and the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh trumpet. So everything has to happen in order. But each event, can happen at any time until you get a total of 1,335 days until Jesus comes. From the time that Assad appears in the sky at the faith coming, which is the abomination of desolation, until Jesus comes, from the faith coming to the true coming, is 1,335 days. So it's not going to all happen in one hour, one second, or one day. But each event 
It's like a snap of the finger. One and then another, then another, then another, then another, then another. Because once a sun appears in the sky, it's going to be an avalanche of the next event, then the next event, then the next event. It'll be an unending avalanche, just constantly and continually uh, things occurring very fast, very quickly. Now it says here, verse 11, and the merchants, meaning the stores and the store owners of the earth, weep and mourn over the loss of the city because no one buys money, because no one buys their cargoes anymore, uh, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of uh, citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense, perfume, and frankincense. Now, frankincense comes from the Middle East, not from America. And wine and olive oil, olive oil comes from the Middle East, not from America. And fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. There will be slaves in the last days. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. Verse 15, the merchants, store owners, store business owners, uh, corporation owners of these things, who became rich from her, will stand at a distance from the city because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe! Woe, the great city, the great city, idolizing, worshiping that city. She was clothed spiritually in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adored with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they drew dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning. And that's definitely like a Middle Eastern scenery. Americans don't do that. Even in the last days, even after the judgments and the great tribulation, Americans ain't going to be messing up their hairdo. These are Middle Easterns who are Muslims in the Middle East where frankincense is, where olive oil is. These are Muslims who are uh, throwing dust on their head. Americans don't act like that. And we're crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, in which all who, who, who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Guess what it tells us to do? Rejoice. Ha, ha, ha. Jump up and down and shout and sing in a dance. Yeah, fiesta. Because the wicked city had burnt. Rejoice. 
Don't cry over her. Don't pray for her. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints. You, rejoice about the burning of this wicked city and apostles and prophets because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. For you. If we want our kingdom to come and our Lord and our King to come, the cities and nations and kingdoms of this earth must cease. Must must cease. For our kingdom to come, our Lord and our King and our peace to come to this earth. Judgment has come on our behalf. They have rejected our word. They have rejected the word of God. They have rejected our flyers. They took them off the bulletin board and threw them in the trash. We should pray that whoever takes those down off the bulletin board, that they are cursed, that they will repent, that they will feel the heat of fire under their feet until they repent. That's part of my prayer. I actually literally pray that. May fire burn in their feet until they repent. Because I know they're not going to repent unless they feel fire in their feet. Verse 21, then a strong angel, not a wimp, but a strong angel, took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found anymore. And the sound of harps and magicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you, that city, any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you, that city, and no longer. And the sound of a meal will no longer be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp, the electric will go out. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, which means by false religion, by Jehovah, by Yeshua, by Yahweh, by witchcraft, by Babylonian, Assyrian, Jewish, and Muslim, Islamic witchcraft. That's what it's talking about. In verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, that city and that religion and the Muslims and the communists are literally going to kill some of us. That city and Assad and those religious people, those Muslims and those churches and the Catholic Church and false religion, they're going to kill some of us and some of our brothers and some of our sisters, spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters. And maybe even physical family. We should ask God 
to bring his vintage, his wrath, his revenge upon these people on our behalf for what they have done to our spiritual brothers and sisters and our family. We can't lift up the sword ourselves, but we can ask God and plead for his vintage upon that religion, those people, those wicked, 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 wicked people that must be spanked. We want them to repent. We want them to be saved. But they're not going to do it until they get spanked. Have you ever known just a really, really, really bad person in school or where you work at that you knew needed to be written up or knew they needed to be fired? Yeah, we've all. We've all known somebody in our lives that picked on us in school or got away with everything bad or they were always acting up or doing bad and their parents never spanked them and the teachers, they never got in trouble even though they were bad, bad, bad. And even though at work they'd get away with everything and they're bad people, it's okay to want that person to get in trouble with the teacher, with the principal, or with the uh, uh, boss of where you work at, or with God. It's okay to want them to get in trouble if they deserve it. Not that we would want bad for anyone, but we want to see people get right. We want people to find God. We want people to get saved and find the love of God and the peace of God in their hearts and minds and come to know the joy that we have. And the Bible tells us to rejoice over the burning of that city and the destruction of that religion and the destruction of their kingdom. The United States is no longer my nation. The kingdom of God is now mine. I really no longer even even have a right to vote anymore. This is no longer my world. This is no longer my city, my town, my nation. I'm seeking the kingdom to come. Amen. So, let us pray that God's will prevails on this earth. And it's his will more than anything else in the world, more than anything, has nothing to do with money or whether somebody lives or dies in the flesh. But their ultimate salvation, that is God's will. It's the ultimate salvation of each individual person. And if we are praying, God, please save such and such, then the judgment has to come because that's the only way these people are going to get saved. So let's not hold it back by saying, uh, don't, but let's pray, do. Do, Lord. Do whatever you have to do. 
there's a bold prayer that sometimes I have prayed, God, like with my brother, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, anything you decide, Father, anything you decide, whatever it takes for the salvation of this person. If it takes jail, if it takes prison, if it takes disease, if it takes curse, if it takes war, whatever it takes, Father, you're in control. Your will be done, Father. The only thing I'm praying, Father, is that that your will be done and that in the end, in the end, however it comes about, according to your will, your design, and your plan, that this person will be standing in the kingdom. That's all we have to pray, that this person will accept and embrace you and that they will repent. If you want to bring fire, bring it, Lord. You control the weather. You control the wind. You control the rain. You control the fires. You control the governments. You control the cities and the leaders and the presidents. I ain't got nothing to do with any of that. The only thing I need to pray is your will be done and that when it's all done and over, that person will be standing in the kingdom. That they will accept you and embrace you, that they will embrace the kingdom, that they will embrace the truth that I am bringing to them. That's it. Amen. Praise God. And for our own repentance and for our own safety, our own safety and our own repentance and the safety of our brothers and sisters who are our true brothers and sisters in the Lord, of course. But please don't be praying for me and Brittany concerning the fires because we are far, 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 far away from the fires and they are absolutely no danger. No danger to us at all. So don't worry about that. We're in God's hands. And um, I'm excited about what is going on and how God burnt that King James Version Bible in Gatlinburg and is telling the people to wake up that the day of the Lord is at hand. In Joel chapter 1, that the day of the Lord is near and that he is bringing fire, that he is bringing fire to the mountains and to the wilderness, as it says. So I'm very excited what God is doing. Uh, the Alpha and Omega Bible uh, is available already on the Internet. You can read it, download it onto your phone, download it onto your computer, and then read it. And... Uh, I will be continuing to edit it and update it online. But as far as the print edition, uh, this is the final print edition that I'm going to do that I know of. And most likely it will be the final print edition. And as it turns out, it's going to be in three volumes. I was going to try to make it one. Then it turned out two. But now it's very clear to me it's going to have to be in three volumes. So the people that get the free copies or whether you even, or if you buy it online, either way, whether it's free or you choose to purchase it, you've got to get the Old Testament 
in one volume by itself, Old Testament by itself, and then the Apotica books, which are those books that they took out of the Bible, they're in a volume all by itself, and then the New Testament in the third volume all by itself. So it's three books that you'll be ordering or receiving in the mail. Because that's the only way I can do it with my very limited finances. Because I'm publishing it myself. I'm not going through any other publisher. If I was to go through a publisher, then they would use their publishing offices and uh, back it up with their money and all that. And I could put all of it in one book and there would not be any limit on the number of pages. But when I'm publishing it myself with very limited money, then I'm very limited in how many pages I can put in one book for a certain price. And because I cannot afford to put over a 1,000 pages in one book, I have to split it up in three books and deal with the economy packages and, and the stuff that I can get a printer to do with the money that I got or can get. Okay? So that's why it's got to be in three volumes because I'm not dealing with no large publisher. As I continue to edit it online, as I find mistakes or as I find things that need to be corrected, I will notify the people in the newsletter Then you can just take an ink pen and just scratch through it in your print copy and make corrections as necessary if we find and when we do find things that need to be corrected. Whereas the online version, I will correct and it will stay updated online. You can download the most recent updated online version once a month or however often you want to and make your own corrections in your print editions. Because um, like I said, it's not a perfect translation. Uh, be praying for the distribution and the printing and, and everything. And I will be putting links to where you can purchase if you choose to purchase. The links will be on the newsletter, actually on the website, uh, in a few more days. Give me a few more days. I'm still working to get it all finalized. And to be honest with you, I'm extremely, extremely exhausted. So I'm, I'm kind of just uh, uh, up against the grain here to give me a few days to get everything finished. And then after this is finished, uh, I want to start making more videos for YouTube and uh, write some more articles, some brand new articles that I want to come out with. But I also want to get some rest as well, okay? And uh, I will continue to reach out to the people with videos and new articles and with the website, but I had to quit the radio stations, and both radio stations in Detroit and Cincinnati are canceled already, and they're completely off the air, effective immediately, because that is that much money that can go toward printing these Bibles and shipping these Bibles. Because what I have to do is I have to order 
every copy of all three volumes. And the first shipment that I'm going to order to have printed and shipped to me is going to be something like uh, 34 up to 38 or so copies, possibly. And then once I receive all those copies of each one, like say, for example, maybe somewhere around 35 copies of the Old Testament, 35 copies of the Apostle, 35 copies of the New Testament, and then take those and ship them all over the world. This is going to take a lot of money. I have to pay for these and then pay for the shipping. So I had to quit all the radio stations. But I feel like because of what time it is, that's what I need to do anyway. Because we got very limited time left and what money that there is available in these last few months must be used to get this Bible into the hands of the people and then pay back all the loans that I have to take out to get this done and provide for my own self, my own family, my own life, and our needs. We've got to take care of ourselves too. Amen. And so these last few months, uh, forget Cincinnati, forget Detroit, let them burn to the ground. God has sent his word and his messages to Cincinnati and Detroit for over a year every week. And they have not responded. They have not repented. They don't even email me. They don't call me. They're not keeping the Sabbath. They're not keeping the holy days. They've not repented. Forget them. Let's move forward to the next group of people to the people that want the Bible, to the people that want the correct translation of the Bible. These are the people that are next on the list for prayer, for intercession, for repentance, and hopefully they will not be like Detroit and Cincinnati. That will be true brothers and sisters in the Lord and repent that they individually may be spared based on their own life and their own prayers. So we're reaching out to a different group of people moving forward in this ministry, not staying in the same place, but moving forward in this ministry. Well, that's everything that God has laid. Oh, let me share one more confirmation with you, and then we'll hang up. Last night, I downloaded an app, a music, music app on my phone to where I can listen to some music. and. The very first song that came on that I listened to on that app after it was downloaded is called Setting the Woods on Fire. Setting the Woods on Fire by Hank Williams Sr. Very old song. And I did not even type that in, Setting the Woods on Fire. The only thing I typed in was Hank Williams Sr. because I love his music. And that song is the first one that they played. I didn't even choose it. I didn't even click on it. That is the song that came up all by itself just by typing in Hank Williams. And it's called Setting the Woods on Fire. And that is amazing additional confirmation that God is real, 
that God is present in this ministry, that God is present in these fires, and that God is in control. Amen. Uh, thank you for listening, and and uh, uh, we'll be having services again next Saturday a week from today. And until then, may God bless you in amazing ways. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.